There he is. Oh, uh, Teresa. Teresa's right. I, you guys, and I mean, it was pretty funny, actually. We were all just sort of getting started, and my beautiful little dog came running up. My mother-in-law came in looking for her, her insulin, and my dog ran up and jumped on me and stepped right on the button to shut off my PC. <laughs> And I'm not very tech savvy, so it took me another 20 minutes to get back here. And I thought, well, I wonder who they got to speak. <laughs> so I'm really happy to be here, actually. And uh, uh, I think, uh, you know, before the meeting and, and spending a little bit of time with you guys is, is, is one of the great rewards of doing this and spending time with the people. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm making so many really nice friends in here. And and to, to be with you uh for the for this sort of purpose, um, I mean that that's abundance that I can never sort of repay. That's that's a a, a value that I can never put an estimate on. And uh, I just know that my heart is filled with gratitude, and I'm honored 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 to be here with you. Uh, my name is Marty Cosgrove. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a member of the Prince George Group in Hamilton, and uh, and I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know uh, how many like there's a lot of familiar faces on here, so I don't know how many new folks squeak into this room on, on a Tuesday night for the 11th step meeting. But I got to tell you, man, there's been some good stuff on here in this last little while, and I feel uh, sort of out of place. But then I started thinking about it today. You know, nobody ever points their finger at me and in Alcoholics Anonymous or in the world and says, oh, look at that man. He's deeply spiritual. Look at that guy. He is a he's a really, you know, he, nobody does that. I don't get confused with anybody, uh, you know, who who um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. It, it, but I want to also say is that what I am sort of often uh, uh, assessed as is somebody who does love this program and demonstrates how it can work and uh, that I am accused of. and. Um, what I wanted to share with you today, and and you have Don last week, and you got Carl the week before, and you got people that have come on here. My friend John from Hamilton did the, the workshop. Uh, these are these are profound, deeply spiritual men who are able to 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 deep down inside themselves reach in there and regurgitate experiences and information that can that can just bring you to your knees, like can and and it's like fill you up. And I don't know if that's if, if that's necessarily my role. I, I am a, a a bit of a nut job, and uh, I I have this uh, sporadic uh, uh, serenity, and uh, I don't know if I'd want to be chill all the time. So I, I I enjoy going off the beam, and then being brought back to the beam, and then off the beam, and then being brought back to the beam. And you know, Mickey was introducing my topic. My topic was actually just we ask. It wasn't all that other stuff. <laughs> it's just we ask. We ask God. That, that's my topic. And the other piece of that was I'll touch on conscious contact at this time. But it's a very interesting thing because, uh, it, and I don't know if you have ever sort of detected this at all, but there's I have some arrogance in me, some pomposity. I have some bravado, some loudness. All of those things are all part of my character. Um, as much as I want them removed, I'm still just a really big mouth guy who um talks a lot and 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 so what but what happens with a guy like me is we don't know how to ask uh, you know i grew up in a home a violent irish catholic home alcoholic home uh which was filled with religion filled with religiosity and, and filled with ideas about good living like my old man knew the morality of of man he knew the code you know, he didn't practice it. He certainly uh, didn't demonstrate it. So it never, ever got built in. But as a kid, 
and you guys heard me say this, the rules in my home. I heard a speaker say it the other night and I thought, hey, man, that's me. It was at our conference the other night, this guy from Toronto. He said, this, the rule in my home was don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. And you didn't ask questions when you were a kid. You were to be seen and not heard. Asking was against the rules. And uh, it wasn't a why and a why. And, and, and now today we've learned, as certainly as men, is that when a child asks why, it's an opportunity to connect and explore. And imagine that as a higher power in a child's life, that when a child asks why, you get a chance to make up horseshit stories and all kinds of crap. You can tell whatever. you can, And you always have the answer. Don't forget. Don't, you never say, I don't know. You make stuff up. And you create this, uh, this sort of this idea that life, I think, is, 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 is meant to be enjoyed, not endured. Now, in this, in this childhood, this, this childhood that I had, being struck, you were supposed to know everything. You know, I don't know how to explain it, but I do know that I was in Collins Bay Penitentiary and, and uh, the uh, Brentwood program from, uh, from Windsor had started up a program in Collins Bay at that time. And Dr. Uh, Father Paul Charbonneau, uh, he would say that the, the, the rules of the, of the treatment center down there, ask, listen, do as you're told. And I swear as God is my witness, I could never get past that first part of the process. I could never ask. I'm going to say this and I'm going to put it in. I'm going to insert here because I don't know what's happening in the Toronto area or your area of Alcoholics Anonymous. But we have suffered some devastating losses just previous to COVID and, and since COVID. Uh, losses of individuals and our young friend, Mark, who many of you would have met on Zoom, uh, died a few weeks ago in, in, in British Columbia and uh, in, in Vancouver. And he left here sober to go to work. And he met with his sponsor in Calgary and, and, and they had breakfast. And then he said, I'm going to Vancouver for a couple of days. And the sponsor said, nothing good can come of that. And he said, well, I'm going to go and see if I can help somebody. Where are you going? I'm going to go down to the shelters in East Hastings. So he goes down to Vancouver. And he thought that was a good idea. What he wasn't doing was he wasn't talking. You see what I'm saying? Like, we were, we were a step two group with my boys there last night, and I was talking about this devastating disease. It has, it has got a lot. We talk about the return of the obsession, and we talk about all those things like they're something you can pick off out of the air. At the end of the day, it's about talking. It's about having somebody that you can be open with and talk about what's going on in your life. It's about that. And, and so how does that happen without asking? You know, we have, and, and, and we're talking about the 11th step tonight and to tie this in is I don't have, I don't have experience. You know, Chuck Chamberlain said, he said, there's only ever one problem, right? And it's conscious separation and under which exists all other problems. You know, and, and, and that's the piece that often doesn't get talked about. There's only one problem, conscious separation under which exists all other problems, all of them. And then therefore there's only one solution under which exists all solutions and that's conscious contact and so what happens is, is is i come into this alcoholics anonymous program i come into this life bullying my way through life always thinking that you guys know stuff that i don't know this is my personal disclosure about not being able to ask don't talk don't trust don't feel not being able to ask the questions i remember going in the goose in the millhaven penitentiary and the towers were up there with the gun turrets in it and i'm 19 years old <laughs> 
And you got kids, some of you guys, you know what 19 is. I'm not a man. I'm a boy. And I'm going into this thing and I'm scared and I'm terrified. But I don't ask any questions because I think I look around and everybody else knows what to do. And I need to fake it. I need to just fake it. And so I go through my life with this persona. I'm not asking anybody anything. And I know a lot. And that's before I, you know, well, not then. I was been drinking quite a bit. But I was like that before I ever took a drink. I was acting as if I knew. I could never ask. So we come into this thing and, 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 and uh, we get exposed to, to a different way of life, you know, I, uh, uh, to, to, to sort of insert my own personal spiritual experience was, uh, I was 23 years old, I was in a jail cell for the last time on my dad, and I, I, I screamed out for help, and I dropped to my knees and I said, I don't want to live like this, I don't want to live like this anymore, and I heard a voice say, you don't have to, you don't have to live like this anymore, and that was July the 16th, 1987, I had a profound barn-burning spiritual experience in that jail cell that changed my life, it absolutely changed my life. And then I set about this Alcoholics Anonymous trip with uh, the same process that I had always existed in in my life. I became aware of the presence of God, but I had no awareness of God. If you understand what I, I became aware, it's like it's like I heard the other day. It's like you can know you can know a doctor, <laughs> but you can know there's a God. But I had no connection to this God. God came to me, and from that point after, when I just I didn't even swear off or anything like that. These things were removed from me. This was absolute grace. There's no doubt about it. But I set about a sober life, trying not to be the bastard that I had been all those years. And as it turned out, I was less of one. And, 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 and it, it accomplished the miraculous for my family, for my community and all. And, and so my outsides were all saying, what a magnificent demonstration of change Alcoholics Anonymous has provided for this young man. And I'm still not asking any questions. You know, I sat around Alcoholics Anonymous meetings for 14 years and I said I was an alcoholic. Do you know why? Because I didn't even know the questions to ask. I said it because you said it. You were sitting beside me and I said it because you said it. I thought, I got a drink, a problem. You're saying you're alcoholic. I'm alcoholic. That's it. I had no idea what the, the nature of my, my condition was, you know. So, so this thing about asking, you know, uh, we, we grow in effectiveness. We grow in usefulness. We grow in understanding. But at, as, as a new person in Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, it's not just a, like it's, we don't know the questions to ask. But what our books does is what our, what our instructions are here in this thing is, is when we surrender, when we surrender to this thing through the first three steps, we're not going to the general public anymore. We're not going to, to other people. And we start getting introduced to this idea that we're going to ask something else, someone else, an entity, a power. We're going to go there. We're going to go there for the difficulties that we suffer from. We're going to go there for our consternation or our concerns. We're going to go there for our anxieties. We're going to go there for our, with our gratitude. But what do we, you know, we get introduced to this stuff. The first place we get introduced is there's one who has all power and one is God. And we ask this protection and care with complete abandon. That's the first time we get this we ask thing. And that's in our introduction to the steps. That's when our layout steps in our, in, in, in our big book is, is that's where we're first introduced to it. We hear it read at all the meetings. You know, the, the how it works is read at all the meetings. And we ask this protection and care with complete abandon. I heard that, read that many years and had not 
identified that there was something there for me to do, that I could see in there that there was something for me to go for. You know, I had no idea of the image that I was going for. I had no idea about what I was going for. I just had this idea that I couldn't drink and go to meetings. That's what I had. The second time we see this is it says we ask God to help show the same tolerance, pity. Now, this isn't dealing with resentments. So we know it's the number one offender. I've, I'm only sober for a few weeks. And this is this is this is sobriety at 14 years. Now we have a process here that we're going to unfold and we're going to ask God to remove these things. We're going to ask God to show them tolerance and pity that we cheerfully grant a six. Friends. This is the next time we go to God and we ask him. And, and, and isn't it interesting is that I'm doing this stuff because I've been instructed to do it. I'm doing this stuff because it's laid out in my literature. I'm doing this stuff because you guys shared with me that this is what you did and I like the way you live. And so I'm going to do this. So we ask God to, to, to show us this stuff and, and we're dealing with resentment here. The next one is, is if we trust infinite God around and find us, we ask him to remove our fear and direct our thinking. Now he's going to deal with our fear. The stuff that are blocking me from him, this is early in sobriety, the stuff that's blocking me, I need to ask him to remove that. My I'm going to ask him to deal with my resentment. I'm going to ask him to deal with my fear. This is the first two things that we're going to talk about. It's on page 68. And then on page uh, 69, it says, we ask God to mold our ideals. Now our sex conduct, our conduct with others, our life conduct in relationships. We're going to ask God in on that. So now I've got my resentment, my fear, my sex conduct, the stuff we know that blocks us from him, conscious separation. We know what stuff blocks us from him. We're getting exposed to this. And I've only been sober for a couple of weeks, a month, two months. This is what's happening. It's starting to unfold. We asked, we asked, we asked. These are not hidden words. Um, then it says uh, uh, on page 76, it says, if we still cling, it says, we ask God to help us be willing because I'm already not like I'm not I'm not in a position right now that I know what it is that needs removal. I'm not in a position about my willingness might be waning. I don't know, but I need God to help me be willing. I got to ask for that. Uh, and then on page 84, it says, we continue to watch. And it says, when these things crop up, these resentment, fear, and sex conduct, that God, we went to God and asked him to help us. When those things crop up, we're going to ask him at once to remove. We're going to ask, please, God, take this stuff from me. And then, in, and then it goes on to uh, page 86. It says, before we begin, we're going to ask God. Now, this is what we're talking about today. So we've had this experience all through the steps. And isn't it amazing? I, I wrote this down here because uh, it's the step four fears. You know what happens when it says when we ask God, it says if we, we, now we're on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. This is the first time like you're, you're, you're even when you go through our literature, even when you go through the book and you read Bill's story and then you come into into there is a solution and we agnostics and they're more about alcoholism. When you read that stuff, it's kind of like it's introducing you to the idea of the problem and then steering you towards a solution. And it's not really sort of laying it right out there. But now when you get into step four, it's just. We come to rely, I've tried, and guys, this is my guilt, right? Working with others. I've actually tried to hide the direct implication of this step, not to frighten the guys that have <laughs> taken through the work. You know, you've done this four steps. So what they'll say to me is they'll say, hey, wait a second here. I, I didn't say I'm actually believing in that God. Now you told me as long as I could say that maybe there's something that that was good enough. And now you're just shoving it in my face. And I'm saying, no, no, let's look at this. This is, you're an obstinate, unreasonable anarchistic, selfish, self-centered, alcoholic dick. And I've just given you a few instructions about what to do to get here. And you followed them. How does that happen if not a miracle? Because so can we just at least say that there's something working? And maybe, maybe, just maybe, you can see that there's something that can be relied upon here. And it's not you. And that's where I frame that up, right? And then it says we come to rely on it on page 87. So it says now we're on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God in the step four fears. And then it goes right over to page 87, which we're talking about things. We've come to rely on this. 
we begin to rely on it in through our inventory and a fish step. And then we're on a completely different basis. And then on page 87, when we're, when we're rocking into this sort of this 11 step, you know, these ideas and conceptions, it says we've come to rely on this. Imagine that. And that's, is that not unbelievable transition? I can't, you know, and we, I, my marker for me is that I come in here obstinate, arrogant, and pompous about, about a God of religion, which I think is what you guys are talking about. I had that powerful, profound spiritual experience in the jail cell that day. And all that did was confirm to me that there was a white, look, it looked like Frank, a white, long haired, bearded dude with a staff up there sitting on a cloud. And he finally gave me some relief. I shit you not. I'm not a, I'm not a complex guy. That's what I thought happened. And I thought, well, thank you. Finally, because I always thought that you guys that had a good were in the right line that you guys were in the right line that I just was always in the wrong mind that this was fate that my life had gone so askew and now like so and I'm sitting here now and I'm learning that this isn't about a god this is about power a power we call god and and and, and this is powerful stuff because I have a conception now I have an idea now and it's real and it's personal and it's powerful so when we're talking about this sort of we ask thing and we run through all that stuff, you know, I, I can go on and on and on. On page 86, we ask for God's forgiveness. On page 86, we ask God for inspiration, intuitive thought or decision. We ask, we ask. On page 87, we ask especially for freedom from self-will. On page 87, we ask for the right thought or action. On page 83, each morning, we ask in each morning a meditation that our creator shows us the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, you know, kindness and, and love. So we have this sort of thing about... When, 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 when Paul Charbonneau said, ask, listen, do as you're told, you could change those words to ask, listen, and follow the directions that you're given. You know, if you do that, that sounds just like AA. Unfortunately, we have blocks. We have blocks. You know, and, and if you look at page 50 in, in our book, it says, to take a certain attitude that in order to do this stuff, in order to have this transition and in order to go from bridge to shore, you have to ask and you have to take a certain attitude. And then it says we had to search fearlessly for what? For that power deep down inside of us. We had to search fearlessly. So now we're into this place where I'm asking and I'm seeking. We sought through prayer and meditation. I'm asking and I'm seeking. I'm constantly, I, I believe that every place it says in our book, we ask that that's a prayer. And I believe the meditation is exactly how they describe it here because it says that when you complete this period of meditation, and they're talking about when we retire at night, we get up in the morning, and it says when completing this period of meditation, that's your meditation. Your meditation is cycled around that. There are concepts and ideas that this group has gone to great lengths in the last two years to cover on this 11th step thing. People are dissecting and pulling out just small little pieces of, of what's in this amazing literature and sharing it from their own experience about, about the perceptions around around this god and this power and how it works you know so we search fearlessly that that is exactly how the sort of the directions go with respect to putting us into this this position of of reception you see i mean we know seek and you shall find we, we know where that comes from we don't say that in alcoholics anonymous we say sought and we, we're gonna seek and what we're gonna find anything we're gonna improve our conscious contact which assumes that there's one already there. 
And I'm going to suggest to you that if you take that rough house framework that I shared with you through step four and five, when you're working new guys, especially guys that haven't got a God or have sort of shut the door on a God, and you take that position and you get them to this place, all of a sudden now there's some bargaining chips because the, you, the change cannot be denied. Something happens inside of us when we follow the dictates of this program and of a higher power, something happens inside of us that becomes undeniable. You know, they taught my, my last medallion, my 35 medallion says no later vicissitude. And if you know where that comes from in our literature, it's no later vicissitude. The, 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 the brain tumor on my daughter's head, the rope around my middle daughter's neck, the difficulties in finances. Today, I had a very, very tough time on a client, the loss of friends and loved ones in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, the death of my two parents, the death of my little brother, Casey, who's who a lot of you guys have seen all over Facebook the last few days. No later vicissitude can shake this. You know, I see that, you know, I, I can see evidence of his grace, his power. I can see evidence of it when I go to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, but I can also see evidence of willfulness and obstinacy and arrogance and pomposity and clamors, worldly clamors. I can see evidence of that too. And the fact of the matter is, is that I have become awakened, a conscious contact. Conscious means awake. It just means awakened. That's all it means. And now I have an awakened contact. The opposite of that is, and I hear people in the, especially old guys. I mean, I hear them in AAL time said, oh, I remember when I, I got home that night and woke up in the morning and I couldn't believe my car was there. And uh, I wondered how the hell did my car get there? And there was somebody watching out for me that night. <laughs> that stuff all the time. That's what is an unconscious contact. That's, that's like not being aware. That's just like sort of on the other side of it going, seeing evidence. You know, and Bob D used to talk about the lamplighter thing. He says, you can't always see where God's going. And the lamplighter, you can't always see where the lamplighter's going, but you can always see where he's been. And when you can help another guy to look back in his own life and see that there's been some weird ass transformation that had nothing to do with him or her. You're setting your feet in stone where no later vicissitude can shake it. It's like, and, and then you'll hear people say, like, I laid out some pretty big things. There. You'll hear people hear people say it's the little things. Well, it's the little things that our ego likes to play with. You know, when the big things come and we go to God, just like it tells us in his 10 step, or when we become aware, aware of things and we're pulled off the beam and we go to God, the ego doesn't like that. So the ego starts messing around with little things. It starts getting you just to be a little less honest and starts getting directing you to be just a little bit less faithful and a little less fidelity and a little less sort of, you know, loving and kind, just a little less, I mean, a little bit more curmudgeon, a little bit more grumpy and a little bit more separation, you know, and the ego needs to separate us from one another so that it can have its way with us. And that's how it works. That's that's really how it works. And you guys heard me say this, and I'll say it again. We're here talking tonight about a spiritual experience. We're talking about a spiritual awakening. I am never closer to the God of my understanding than I am when I'm with you. Never, ever. I go to services, masses, church. I go to all kinds of stuff. I've been, I'm Godfather to three children. I, I've been involved in life in a, in, in a spiritual way, native sweats and all. And I love it. And I'm, and I read, I, I, you know, I was telling people about a couple of books I've read lately. They're amazing. And, and, and I, and all that kind of stuff. And I feel it. I can feel it burning inside of me, but nothing, nothing has the power inside of me. Nothing puts that power of God inside of me. Then when I'm sitting with somebody and, and the lights come on and, and, and I know we, we, we talk, uh, the veil is lifted or the, that darkness, those gravestones in their eyes disappear or, or hope 
emerges. Somebody says, maybe I can do this. And if you've been in that position, and I just got goosebumps and, and, and I could cry on that. If you've been in that position, then you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You, you skip home, you, you drive, whatever it was that was on you is not there. You know, this thing about asking and then driven to conscious contact. If I'm aware of God, so, so, so sought through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact. If my awareness of God is that, and, and sometimes it comes a lot better. Like it's very easy to be resting on the, on the mountaintops and being blown over by the glory of God and spending the entire day sucking in the cool air and, and, and recognizing what a, what a magnificent power and omnipresence this God is. My awareness is high. My awareness is high. I work in the streets with schizophrenic, alcoholic, and addicts, and I grab a couple cups of coffee, and I'll sit down with them as they're begging for your change, and uh, I will sit, and I will talk to them, and I will ask, I'll ask them their stories, and, uh, and sometimes I'm wondering where God is. I don't know how else to frame it. I know he was the, he's there in between us, but I'm thinking to myself, I can feel so blessed and so fortunate. And I know people in here who have done more remarkable things and done well in their lives that I wonder where God is. And then every once in a while, and we were coming out of the autumn leaf roundup on Saturday night, and a couple of rounders were sitting there drinking just outside of the Sheridan hotel. And one of them yelled out, Hey, Marty. <laughs> I said, Hey buddy. He says, I know you from the Kiwanis club. <laughs> like that. And I thought Kiwanis club the hell is that? I don't even know what that is. You know, I started talking with him for a while. He, he stops right in the middle of it. He goes, no, you came to my house years ago. You're from AA. <laughs> Funny, come here, you know, right on, man, right on. And, and we had a little chat, you know, and I, and I know, and I just came out of a beautiful roundup filled with wonderful connection and fellowship, but that was the highlight of my night. That was the highlight of my night. And I went home and I got on my knees and I asked if that man be safe because he's been living on the street like that for years. And he goes two miles up the road. And he, you guys know the Hamilton escarpment. He just goes up, lives up in the trees and he comes back down. And he was happy and he had something going on. He was under the influence of alcohol. His spiritual malady has been treated for this night. And uh, he was in a good, he was in good place. He was in good spirits, you know. And so I got to spend a few moments with that guy in, in, in his relationship with his power. You know, and I asked my God that night, you know, to see fit, uh, you know, that, that, that this guy could be led to something maybe better, safer, whatever it is, in my own judgment. You know, so the reason that we have to continuously ask God for this stuff is because I, I, my arrogance will think I know what somebody else needs or the way the life should be going. And, 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 and many of you people here have been my friends and loving, loving support through the difficulties I have with my daughters. But if you know me and around me, Kevin, and a few other people here spend a lot of personal time with me. Uh, I'm okay. I'm not, uh, not okay. I bring those things up. If there's anybody around here struggling to let them know that this place puts you right back into a position to be okay. And if you heard me talking at the beginning, my spiritual life exists like this. I walk along, I get up in the morning, and I get connected. And I walk along in that connection for the three or four minutes that I'm able to walk along in that connection. And I am close to God. I am a God loving fool. And then something doesn't go my way and I go boop, off the beam. 
And it might be simple. Like <laughs> once I was telling this story one time, I went, I got four daughters, right? God has a sense of humor too. I got these four daughters and I go downstairs and I'm ironing. I got a beautiful crisp white shirt and I'm ironing my white shirt, steaming it up and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden I look down, it's all pink. And I go, Jesus, <laughs> I look at the iron and my daughter was using the iron. She dyed her hair pink and she was using the iron for her hair. And I fired that iron across the room, smashed it against the wall. And damn it, I was right. I was right to do that. I was righteous. And it went for about three and a half minutes of absolute insane rage. And I go right back onto the beam. And I laugh. I start to laugh. I think, damn it, that's about 50 bucks for that iron. And I start to laugh, you know, about my insanity and how quickly, you know, this life or a beautiful life, aren't I just blessed, you know, abundance and all that shit. And then I can go off like that. That's my day. What I was just telling you was like 7 to 15 in the morning. <laughs> I got up about 6.30 at 7.15 in the morning. I get back on point. I get in my car. I'm driving down to work. You know, someone cuts me off, you know, off the beam. And then just when we're talking about this, this is why this meeting is fantastic. Because people have taken the minutia of this and they've put it into, you pull these words out of this book. Pause when agitated or doubtful. Just pause and take a moment and go to this creator while you're driving and watch how you just go right back in the beam. I mean, I suggest you don't go into any deep meditation. I hear people saying that sometimes. Oh, I meditate while I'm driving. Oh, do you? Most of us would prefer you actually drove. You know what I mean? You see people on the 401 meditating while they're driving all the time and eating cereal and doing their makeup and stuff like that. But the We'd prefer you drove, but I'm just talking about turning my attention to God. What is conscious contact? Conscious contact is an awareness of God. It's, a, it's an awareness of the power and the presence. And all it is, is life comes. And I, and I don't make any bones about that. You know, I, I play sports. I, I'm involved in, 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 in my community. I, and, and, and things get raucous. My job co-workers, colleagues. I'm in this world to play the role that I'm assigned. And so I follow those directions and I get to these places. Sometimes I'm not okay with the role. I don't know that that's happening at the time. I start grumbling. Anybody here a grumbler? You know, that low grade grumbling, you know, like remember that uh, suffering succotash, uh, I think it was Sylvester, that cat or something on the cartoons. And he just started grumbling, you know, I, and that's me. I start grumbling. I'm going off the beam. Now, here's the thing. 15 years ago, I couldn't detect it. 10 years ago, I detect it sometimes. Five years ago, I detect it most times. Right now, in this current phase of my life, I seem to be detecting it all times. And when I hear a speaker like Don speak last week, or you guys had Kurt Z on here, when I hear those guys pushing this envelope of spirituality further into my heart and into my mind, that conspiracy inside of myself that wants to get closer to this power, I start to learn how to do it right now. You know, I start getting in right there. As soon as the stuff happens, boom, it doesn't attach to me. You know, there is no time in the spiritual world because it takes me four days or four hours or four weeks to get over something. There's no time in the spiritual world. Off the beam, back on the beam. So that's what I got for you guys. I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna mess with too much more. Mickey, there was I was I 20 minutes, a half an hour. You got 15 minutes, man. Well, do we want to open it up? Like I don't mind opening it up, guys. Like whatever you're moved to do, brother. Let's open it up. Let's 